Amen. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. I've looked at the lyrics of that song several times. It's never jumped out to me like it did today. The, I will find my strength in the shadows of your wings. That's good. I will find my strength in the shadows of your wings. That's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. I'm super fired up today. Several reasons. Baptisms fire me up, and you know that. Uh, I'm fired up because we have nearly 300 Operation Christmas Child boxes up here, which over 200 of which were done by students from our school, which is amazing. Yeah, I'd clap for that too. And uh, leading into Thanksgiving week, and many of you that know me know that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I'm excited about that. And if you don't preach something about thankfulness around this time, are you even are you even really a preacher? I'm not even sure. Probably not. So uh, you can see today we'll be looking at the needs and the results of generosity. The needs and results of generosity is what we'll be looking at today. And we'll be in Mark chapter 12 and we'll get there really quick. Now, for those of you that maybe you haven't come here very uh, many times or you haven't been here in a long time or something like that, you walk in and you see that the preacher's talking about giving, it's like... Great. One of those messages. Okay. Well, I don't think it's one of those messages, honestly. Uh, and, I, and it used to be uncomfortable to talk about, honestly. It really used to be uncomfortable to talk about giving because it seems self-serving. It's not self-serving. That's not why we want to talk about this. God talks about giving a lot. He talks about how we handle money a lot. And there's a reason for that. There's a lot of, a lot of benefits that take place when we handle money the way God has called us to handle money. Um, so I don't really... And I don't mean this to sound arrogant. This is from a humble place because I trust the Lord. I don't really apologize for it anymore. I don't, I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong because I'm not. I'm pre we're preaching on this today because it helps. It helps you. It helps me. It helps the kingdom of God. It helps this church. It helps all the church. It, he it helps. Um, so we're looking at the needs and the results of what that looks like today as we dig in uh, to Mark. Now, you know that Mark is, is the shortest gospel. It's shortened to, this, to the point. Uh, and we're jumping in here where, in a place where the Pharisees have just been barraging Jesus with questions, trying to get him trapped, trying to get him to say something that's not true, trying to get him to break the law. And, and it's some of the coolest answers that Jesus gives in all of Scripture, the previous questions before this. And then Jesus kind of flips it, and then he starts kind of asking the questions and, and making the points. Um, so he's, he's making these points right after the Pharisees have tried to trick him or to trap him. And, uh, and, then, and then he says these words. So keep that in mind as we get into it. Verse 38 there, he says, He also said in his teaching, Beware of the scribes, which would have been the people that had just been asking him the questions. Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, 
has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. God, I come to you this morning, I ask you to speak in me, to me, and through me, Lord. May you increase, may I decrease, may your word speak for itself this morning, God. Use me how you see fit. Lord, we pray that those that already know you, Lord, that are refreshed and regenerated in their faith this morning. And Lord, if there's someone among us here this morning, through the camera, or we're watching later on, or listening later on on the internet, Lord, whatever the case may be, if they don't know you, we pray that they would come to know you today. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's dig in to what we got here, what Jesus is telling, what Mark is telling us that Jesus did. The first thing he says there is to watch out. Watch out for these people, Jesus says. Beware of these people, the scribes, the people that you've just seen wearing me out with these questions. And <laughs> I made them look really stupid with my answers. He doesn't say that. I would have said that. I definitely would have said that. Did y'all like those answers? Because I really made them look really stupid. But I'm not God, and you should be thankful for that. He says, watch out for these, these people. They're, 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 they're just fake. They're phonies. They're, they're not real. They're hypocritical. They're insincere. They're phonies. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. They take advantage of the people that, that are most vulnerable in our society. There wasn't hardly anything that you could be more vulnerable than, than a widow in ancient times. It was a difficult road to walk. And, and he says, these people, that's, that's who they go after. That's who they take advantage of. And then, and then to cover up for how fake and phony and not real and how evil would be the word that they are, they say these big, flashy, long prayers in public to make it look like they're so good. And, he, and catch this. This ain't got nothing to do with nothing today other than we need to catch this. These will receive harsher judgment. Yeah. Mm. That's what it makes me do. Mm. That's right. There's eternal rewards. There's also eternal punishment. And we ask that question. Surely some, you know, there's different levels. Yeah, right there. It says it. There's different levels. These will receive harsher punishment. Jesus didn't like these people at all. These fake, phony people that re used religion for their own worldly benefit at the expense of the most vulnerable. He didn't like it. He couldn't stand them. He says, sitting across from the temple treasury, this is Mark telling us what Jesus was doing, sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. I'll just picture this, right? Jesus, Jesus is in the temple, and he's just observing. He's just watching what's going on. I'm a people watcher, so I kind of connect with that. I, I, I like to do that. It's a natural thing. I've always done it my whole life. And he's just watching. And, and, and it says he's in the treasury. Well, he was in the court of the Gentiles. He's moved from the outside court of the Gentiles of the temple area into the treasury or into what is called the court of women. Okay? And now, incidentally, it's not called that court of women by, for a, an honoring reason. It's called that because that was as far as women could go in the temple. They couldn't go past the next gate, which is weird, but it is what it is. Uh, and he notices these large donations given by the well-off. Notice he doesn't condemn their large donations. He doesn't say anything bad about them having wealth and giving a portion of their wealth. He doesn't say anything about that. That, that. that would be misconstruing what Jesus is saying. That's not what he says. He just says, hey, just observed. These well-off people giving a lot, giving these big sums. So just to give you a visual, I like visuals. So if this were the, this is kind of a reconstruction of the Temple Mount. 
This gold part back here in the back, that's the big temple area, okay? Uh, this outside area that, that's not really formed in the picture, that's the court of Gentiles, okay? That's where even the Gentiles could go, uh, but they couldn't go any further. And then this gate right here on this front side over here is the eastern gate, which is where most people would have gone into the temple treasury. And that little box right there in the middle, that's the court of women or the treasury, okay? Called the same things. Now, why was it called the treasury? Because that's where you gave your offering, your, your money offering. You had to go further for the, for, the, for the animal offerings, right? The sacrifice on the altar. But you gave your money offerings there. If you can see those, those colonnades, those, those poles there on the, on the right side of that square, those, those kind of columns, that's where the treasury boxes would have been. There was 13 of them, 13 of these boxes. And, and, and uh, tradition tells us, tradition tells us that these 13 boxes kind of, they were kind of sectioned out for different things. So like if you were paying for the pigeons for your, for your offering, that was kind of these boxes over here. And then if you were giving a big like overflow offering, then your boxes were kind of over here. Okay, so first of all, there was a physical designation for who was giving more right off the bat. Like you, you would know that the person walking that box, they're not giving very much. And the person walking that, bo that box, well, they're giving, they're giving a lot. They're special, they're giving a lot. And then not only that, this is not a, it would have been more grandiose than this, but this is to kind of give you an idea that where, where they're giving their offerings, this is what it would have looked like, okay? Now, another place in the gospel, Jesus says something about um, they love to, they love to uh, sound their trumpet loudly when they're giving, okay? This is kind of what he's talking about. The treasury boxes look like this. They kind of look like, like trumpets coming out of the box. So you would throw your money down inside of that, and then it would stay in the box, and then they'd take the that from there to the actual place where they stored the offerings after it was given, okay? So that's what these people are doing. So I want you to picture it, right? This is not dollar bills time. This is coins, okay? You didn't throw dollar bills in there. You threw coins. What do coins do when they're thrown into something like that? Yeah, boing, boing, boing. They make a lot of noise, right? It would kind of been like this. So if you were given a pretty good coin donation, it would have been like, right? And if you, were, if you were one of these pompous, fake, hypocritical people, you, you know, you probably try to do it from back here, or you kind of crow hopped into it to make it as loud, right, to make it as loud as possible. So that's kind of, kind of picture that. Keep that sound in your mind. Keep that, keep that image in your mind that not only are you, are you audibly going to know the difference, you're going to visibly know the difference in who's giving what. And then we've got the poor widow, right? Verse 42. This poor widow. She's not just a widow, Mark tells us. She's a poor widow, which is almost goes without saying, but he's making sure we understand. She came and dropped in two tiny coins. Your translation may say two lepta. That's the actual coin amount that she was giving. Two little leptas, right? What is that? Well, it's about a 64th of a denarius. So a denarius was what you would get for a common day's wage, right? So if you worked a whole day, a denarius is what you would earn. What she gave was about a 64th of that, okay? So if you're kind of math challenged, like if you got $8 an hour, right, and you work eight hours, you get $64, right? Is that right, math? My brain's not working very good today. So instead of the 64th, you'd have $1, right? That's about the difference. It's not very much money at all. It would... It would kind of sound like this. Big difference. You'd walk over, over here 
to one of those first one or two or three trumpets, those treasury boxes, and you'd throw in your two measly little coins. Nobody would probably even notice that you walked up and you walked away. Their attention would be over here on one of the last boxes, one of the last treasury boxes, these people giving these large sums. And Jesus says this about that. He says that this poor widow has put more into the treasury than the large amounts that were coming in from the well-off. What does Jesus mean that she put in more? Literally, he obviously does not mean that, right? Obviously, two lepta is not as much as a big handful of denarius or whatever someone was putting in. It's not literally more. What's he saying? He's saying that it's not the portion that you give. It's the proportion. Jesus says right here, it's not the portion that you give. It's the proportion. It's the amount of which you have that you give of that is what God notices. That's what matters. That's what determines your generosity. Catch that. In other words, if, if I walk in today, right, and one of these giving plates over here, I drop $50,000 of cash on that bad boy. Boom. Turn around, walk back to my seat, sit down. You might think, wow, that's a lot of money. And it is a lot of money. And it might be super, super impressive to us because we judge the outside, right? But, but if I was worth $100 million and I gave $50,000 and put it in that plate, well, then it's not so impressive anymore. It's not the amount, it's the percentage. It's not the portion, it's the proportion. That's what Jesus is saying here. He goes on, he explains a little further. He says, because they gave out of their surplus. They had plenty to give. And they didn't give very much out of what they had to give. But she, in her poverty, gave everything she had. All she had to live on. All she had to live on. Now, does that mean she gave everything she owned? No, that's not what it means. It kind of sounds that way in the English. That, that, that saying there, all she had to live on, would be, be like saying she gave all she had to where she couldn't, didn't know if she could afford her next meal. She didn't have enough money to buy her next meal. So basically all she had, but not like, not like we think of, right? Now Jesus did say that to some people. Hey, go sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. But he was making a point, okay? He was making a point. Uh, did the early church do that? Yeah. You ever read Acts? The early church did that. The early church sold everything they had and held it all in common, Acts tells us. And we should be thankful for that because I'm not sure that this movement of Christianity, this thing would have happened had that not been the case. But then, obviously, as things went on uh, and, and the Lord hadn't come back in six months like they thought he would, in a year like they thought he would, in 10 years like they thought he would, and here we are almost 2,000 years later and he hasn't come back yet like we thought he would, well, then you have to be a little more practical about the way you give and the way you live. So Jesus is not saying that you have to be Take everything you have, give it, and be destitute. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you have to be unwise in your giving. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying that large amounts of gifts don't necessarily impress him. That's what he's saying. But someone that gives in a way that shows they trust him, that impresses him. That's what he's saying. Paul says it a little differently in... Uh, uh, I'm not going there yet. Paul says a little differently in 2 Corinthians 8, 12. 
He says this, for in the, their eagerness, for if the eagerness is there, excuse me, for if the eagerness is there, this is 2 Corinthians 8, 12, you can check me. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable to what a person has, not according to what he does not have, okay? If the eagerness is there, it's the, it always comes back to it, it's the heart behind the gift. It's the heart behind the generosity. If the eagerness is there, then what you're giving is acceptable to God. If you're giving it because you want to give it to God and, 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 and it, it's an acceptable gift to him in that respect. God's not judging you for not giving a lot. If you're, if you're, if you're like this poor widow and you've, and you've fell on hard times and you can't give very much to the church, God's not judging you for your lack of giving because of the amount. The judgment is on the heart and the proportion. What am I saying? I'm saying this. I'm saying that grateful people are generous. What is the need for generosity? You've got to be grateful, first and foremost. Generous people aren't grateful people. Excuse me. <laughs> generous people, ungenerous people are not grateful people. If you, if you are ungrateful, you will not be generous. You may be able to give a lot because you have a lot, but that doesn't make you, great, doesn't make you generous. Generosity is predicated by gratefulness. Grateful people are generous. Grateful people are generous. It precedes generosity. And I'm also saying this. Grateful people trust outside of what they can see. Why are grateful people generous? Why are generous people Grateful people, generous, because they see outside of what they can actually see in front of them. Like this widow. How can you give up all you have to buy your next meal and survive? Only one way. You truly trust that God's going to deliver your daily bread. That's faith. That's what that word is. Grateful people have faith that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do. And it allows them to be generous exceedingly abundantly generous in a strange way to the world the world doesn't understand this kind of generosity now paul says it like this in second corinthians and we kind of talked about this students on wednesday but we're coming at it from a little different spot from a little different angle so don't check out on me uh if you're if you're here in a student we're not saying the exact same things i know how y'all are uh one thing before i forget i knew i'd forget this uh, for those of you that like to take notes, and especially for those of you that are watching through the camera uh, right now, if you'll go to fbcdan.com slash notes, then the sermon and the, and the notes, the ability to take notes are right there with that. So you can do that right now if you want to. If you're a note-taking person and you need that stuff in front of you to be able to see that, it, it'll have like this like a verse, and then it'll say notes. You click notes, and you fill in what you want to fill in. At the end of it, you put in your, your email address, and it'll send your notes and, and those sermon notes to you. It's a pretty neat little feature we've added to the website, and I should have told you that beforehand, before we got halfway into the message. But it won't be the last time we have church, hopefully. So, <laughs> All right, moving right along. So Paul, in another area of Scripture, in 2 Corinthians, he's, he's asking churches, and specifically the church at Corinth, for an offering so that he can take that to the mostly Jewish Christians. They weren't all Jewish, but they were mostly Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. We've talked about this before. Jerusalem was on hard times. There was a famine. They had nothing, right? And, and part of the letter, part of the reason Paul writes the second letter to Corinthians is to ask them to give the offering that they already said they were going to give, and then Titus is going to come by and pick it up, and Titus is going to take it with them to Jerusalem to help these people that have nothing at this point. Uh, in, in, uh, in the ch church age. This is around early 50s. 
when Paul's uh, saying this. So when we pick up here in 2 Corinthians 8.1, that's what he's doing. He's talking to the Corinthians, but he's talking about the Macedonians who have already given their offering. Okay? He's talking to the Corinthians about the Macedonians who've already given this offering to the Jews, uh, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. We want you to know, talking to the Corinthians, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. So he says, hey, Corinthians, now the thing you got to know about the Corinthians is they're well off. They're a well-to-do church. They're a well-to-do people. They have been blessed financially, and they have plenty to give, and they're doing well, and things are good in Corinth, right? And Paul starts here in this section of the letter to them, and he says, we want you to know, first off, the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia, the churches of Macedonia, which is, if you go to Acts 16 and 17, is Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Those are the churches he's talking about. And some crazy things happened to Paul during those times. You should read the word. It's pretty cool. It says, the churches of Macedonia, that they, that they went through a severe trial, and it brought about affliction, but they had joy in this. And in their extreme poverty from this trial and their affliction, they overflowed with a wealth of generosity. They've gone through a lot, these churches. They've gone through a lot, and they don't have a lot at this moment. But they find joy in their poverty. They were grateful. They were grateful for the gospel of Jesus. They were grateful for the gospel of Jesus. And in that, were able to give with a wealth of generosity. They were grateful for what Jesus had done to them. They were grateful for what Jesus was going to do for them. They were grateful that they knew Jesus would provide for them because he says he will provide for us. They were grateful for those things. So in that, they were able to give exceedingly and abundantly. Paul says, there he says, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord. Okay, so catch that. Paul says, I can promise you, they gave to according to their ability. That's proportional giving, right? 10%, whatever you want to say. It's a percentage. It's proportional. The more you have, the more you give because the more you have. The less you have, the less you give because the less you have. They gave according to their ability and even beyond their ability. So when it looked unwise to give this amount to the world, when it seemed scary to give this amount to the world, to us as human beings, I'm not sure how I can give this much. They did anyway. Why? Because they were grateful for the gospel of Jesus. So they, they gave to their ability and beyond. So don't, don't ever say, well, I can, you know, God only wants me to give proportionally, so I give 10%, and 10% is what it is to the penny, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe allow a little room for the Holy Spirit to work in there, just a tad. Maybe a little bit, right? But, but at the same time, it's to their ability and beyond. So it's, again, God's not, I don't think, I could be wrong, 
I don't think God's asking us to be destitute in our giving. But I do think that our giving can be extraordinary when we trust Jesus' word. And I think it looks very extraordinary to the world. And then it says, of their own accord. Those last four words there. Of their own accord. They were not forced. Paul didn't manipulate them. Paul didn't make them. They prayed about it. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. And they gave according to their own ability and beyond. It was their own gift. So you shouldn't give because I'm talking about giving. That's not how it works. We should give because God's called us to give. But you shouldn't give because you feel compelled, forced, manipulated. I don't want, that's not my point today. I'm not coming from that position. Trust me. And, I, and I'll say this as a sidebar. That there is no capital campaign coming up. The budget's not in trouble. Okay, we're not in a place of anything like that. The budget's fine. Our giving is fine. Everything is fine. Okay, that's not where this, that's not where this message is coming from. Nothing is wrong. I'm not fixing to spring, you know, some big plan on you that we need to give, a, a, you know, some, that's not what I'm doing. I think that's manipulation. That's why I'm not doing that. And we're not in that position. Thank God. Maybe be one day. I don't know. That's possible. And it says there, verse 4, he says, they begged us. They're so grateful that they had this opportunity. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. Catch that? Ministry is equated to giving. The same word that is used here for ministry is also used for giving. Ministry is equated to giving. It is part of following Jesus in the ministry to the saints. And he says there, how? He he reiterates, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. They belonged to Jesus first. Their heart belonged to Jesus first. And they realized that everything they had was a gift from God. Every breath you take, every day you live, everything in your life is a gift from God. And they realized that and they were able to give out of that. So what are we saying? We're saying the same thing we've already said. Grateful people are generous people. Grateful people trust outside of what they can see. If we only give to the ability to which we can see, then we're never giving on faith. Catch that? If we only give to the amount of what we can see, then we're never giving on faith. But when you give that way, you're freed to be generous. Now, finish up with this. <clears throat> last part we're talking about here. Here's the cool part that God does. God takes generosity, godly generosity, generosity from the heart given because of God and for God. He takes that and he multiplies it to do things that you wouldn't understand. I used to love it when Stan would pray, God, take this offering and multiply it. When Tony Derrick would pray, take this offering, God, and multiply it for the use in your kingdom because that's what he does. He multiplies our giving, and that's where it gets extraordinary. That's where it becomes something special. So, right before we get into that, check, these, check this out, okay? Don't believe me? All right. Don't believe God's word? Well, you're wrong, but how about this? Believe the science. Science even tells us this is true. Check this out, okay? Get a little nerdy just for a sec. This is talking about gratefulness, the effects of gratefulness on us. How do, how do, they, how do they do this? They took a little over 1,000 people and they had them write in a gratefulness journey every day. Anytime they felt thankful for something, they wrote it down in a, in a journal for three weeks. And they came back and asked them questions and checked out their stuff physically to see what the effects had been. Okay, three-week gratitude journal, and this is what happened. 
They noticed that there was a strengthening of their immune system. That might be important nowadays. A decrease in aches and pains. They didn't feel their pains so much. Not that they weren't there. The, the tricky knee was still tricky, but sometimes the tricky knee is tricky because your heart is wrong. Sometimes. Some of you are going to hear that and think I'm talking to you and I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just reading what they said. <laughs> a decrease in blood pressure. I could use some of that. Increase in physical activity. They were more likely to exercise, more, more likely to do things physically. They slept better and they felt more refreshed, more refreshed. The psychological effects of gratefulness. This is all from the same study. Increase in positive emotions. Feel more alert and alive and awake. Experience more joy and pleasure. Just from being more grateful. Focusing on being grateful. They, they felt a, a sense of optimism build and a, and a sense of happiness in their life that wasn't there prior to this activity. And then the social effects of gratefulness. They, they, they felt more forgiving. They were more likely to forgive someone. They, they transformed into a more of an outgoing person by being more grateful. Why? Because you're seeing outside of yourself. You're seeing outside of what you see, just what you see. There's more to it. It lessened the feelings of loneliness and isolation. When you're grateful, you're not just thinking about yourself. When you're thinking about yourself, it causes you to think about yourself more. And the more you think about yourself, the more lonely and isolated you can feel sometimes. And I'm not saying that if you're in that, that valley right now that, that you're a terrible Christian. That's not what I'm saying. You're probably going through something hard. All I'm saying is God's given us an answer. It may not be the only answer, but it is an answer to that. To practice gratefulness. To put into practice being thankful for the things that you have. We've got great old songs that remind us of that. Right? Count your blessings. Count them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Right? I mean, there's a reason why we, we do this. And, and now we do scientific studies to, to prove that this is true when God's Word's been telling us for thousands of years that this is true. They feel more helpful. Of course, I had to capitalize generous and compassionate. Grateful people are generous. It's preceding to be a generous person, you have to be a grateful person. Now, with all that truth, the spiritual effects of generosity. We take that grateful heart and we put it into practice through generosity. Spiritual effects of that. Because God takes it and multiplies it, right? God multiplies generosity. He takes whatever you give from a grateful heart and He does more with it than you or I could ever possibly imagine that could be done with it. No doubt about it. If you've, ever, if you've ever seen it, you can't unsee it. Right? You, can't, you can't unsee it once you've seen it. What else? God multiplies the evidence of His grace. Generosity, it, it puts hands and feet. It puts to sight God's grace. When we are a generous people to each other and to others, it, it, it's tangible to the world. It's tangible to non-believers. They say, you know, what is that? Wow, you feel God's grace when someone's generous to you. It's a cool thing. It's a cool thing to, to give that way. It's a cool thing to receive that way. And it's a cool thing to observe that taking place. It's amazing. You just, I mean, you can just, you can just touch it. You can just smell it. You can just feel God's grace. He multiplies it. He makes it more than it would have been otherwise. What else? Generosity multiplies, multiplies power to others' faith. Sometimes when you see a generous act, it's like, 
it's like extra thread to a faith that's holding on by a thread. Right? Sometimes when you see someone, a Christian, that has professed to be a Jesus follower, and you, and you witness or you experience or you receive maybe this generosity, sometimes it's like, man, my faith was hanging on by a thread, and now there's a sewing machine going like crazy, strengthening my faith. Never underestimate what God can do with a grateful heart that gives generously to the saints. Never underestimate that. It is powerful. God takes it and multiplies it multiplies it not a, not adds to it we're not talking about addition we can do addition god multiplies multiplies exponentially right i mean right he multiplies it's amazing what else generosity multiplies our worship of god and this is what we talked about wednesday night generosity multiplies our worship of god and i'll give you a quick example okay something i got to witness this week someone in this church gave a gift that helped someone in this church. I happened to be the intermediary between those things. I didn't do anything other than take and give, right? The person that gave was blessed. How do I know that? Because they told me words, literal words. Wow, it blesses my heart. The person that received the gift was blessed. It helped them in a time of need. It was great. And me, the person observing all that, I was like, wow, God, you're amazing. That's what worship is. Worship is just praising God for who he is and what he's done. The person that gave worshiped because God did what he said he would do. He enriched that person's life by their generous gift. That's what enriched means, by the way. It doesn't mean he'll give back more to you in the form of money. It means he'll give back more to you in the things that matter, the things you truly need, right? And the person that was given the gift, they worship God. I can promise you they were thankful. I know they were thankful. I was thankful for them. And then I worship God. I praise God. I said, holy cow, that's cool. How did you make that happen? Like, how did that happen, right? The person that, that gave that gift is a really mean, ugly, na- I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're, not, they're not at all, they're not at all. They're a really sweet person. <laughs> that was just for fun. <laughs> that just came out. <laughs> what, what are we saying? Here's what I'm saying. Generosity changes everything about our world. Everything, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, it changes everything about our world. And by our world, I mean our world as we experience it. It changes everything about it. And and with that in mind, it's no wonder God calls us to be a generous people. If generosity has that ability to make that kind of effect, then of course God calls us to be generous. Of course he wants the greatest amount of good to take place. So again, I'm not asking you to give to, even to this church, although you should, you know that you should. If you spent five minutes in the Word, you know that's what God's called you to do as a follower of His. We should give to the church, but I'm just saying, like it matters. It makes a difference. Find reasons to be thankful. Give reasons for people to be thankful by giving. It's amazing what God can do when we are generous. And I'm not just talking about generous with our money. Got some of you to wake up there, didn't I? Generous with our time. Generous with our energy. Generous with our abilities and our talents. But I'm also talking about money, because that's what God talks about too, right? So it's no wonder that God has called us to be a generous people, so I'm gonna leave you with one question. And I hope it agitates us all, me included. I hope it agitates us all. Are you a godly, generous person?
Are you a godly, generous person? Do you act out the fact that you're grateful for what God has done? That's what generosity is. It's the physical act of what you already feel of being grateful. Are you a generous? Would someone that knows you, that observes you, that sees your life, would they describe you as a generous person? If so, great. Keep it up. If not, you need to change because you're causing harm in the world instead of causing good. And God's calls us to do good, to overcome evil with good. That's what we must do. I'll pray for us. If you uh, want to come pray during this time, if you hadn't brought your box and you want to bring it down right now, you can. If you want to pray for these boxes and the children that it's going to go to all around the world that are going to, that are going to get a gift, a generous gift, and hear about the gospel, if you want to pray over that right now, that'd be cool. We'll sing a couple of songs here, a couple of short songs to finish up. If you want to sing and express your gratefulness that way, cool. Whatever the Spirit's leading you to do. If you want to receive Jesus, if you want to profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior for the first time, then please come down here. We will be super excited. I might even try to do a backflip. <laughs> Lord, I come to you today and I thank you. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that when we do what you tell us to do, that it actually is better, that it actually does work. Lord, and I pray that you would take the words spoken here today and that they would speak to each and every individual that hears these words, that you would speak to them and they would understand what you want them to understand and to know in this situation, God. If I've said anything that has come across the wrong way, God, will your Holy Spirit please, please change that. Please fix that. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, if there's someone listening today or, or, or out there later on that doesn't know Jesus, God, will your Holy Spirit convict them of their need for a Savior? And that they would trust that your way is best as your word clearly proves that your way is best. That, you, that we need to be forgiven of sin and that you are so good that you give. You are the original giver, God. You give the gift of eternal life to those that place their faith in you, God. We thank you for that truth this morning. May someone come to that truth today if they haven't before. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.